If we haven't met, I'm the pastor uh, here at Hope, and we're excited to be with you. Uh, The summer is always just kind of a a fun time, I think, for churches because there's lots of transition. There's people coming, people going, new people in, old people out. It's never really the same group two weeks in a row, which we really like. That's a lot of fun for a new church. Uh, We are continuing the series that we started just a couple of weeks ago in the Psalms, and we're in Psalm 25 right now. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Psalm 25. As you're doing that, though, I want to give you just a really quick update. Uh, We just got back last night, Joy and I and Anderson got back from Atlanta, where we went to um, the PCA's General Assembly. Now, if those words and letters mean absolutely nothing to you, uh, let me describe it really quickly. Our denomination is governed both locally and regionally and then nationally, and we gather together every year nationally in what's called the General Assembly. All of the pastors and many of the elders from the various churches around the country come together, and we fellowship, we worship together, and we do business. And some of the business that we did this week is really noteworthy. Really a lot of fun. That business meeting is actually led by one person who oversees that called the moderator of the General Assembly. And this is our 46th General Assembly. And this year, for the first time in the history of the denomination, we elected our first African American moderator of PCA General Assembly. It was wonderfully exciting. Uh, There was a standing ovation for many, many minutes. It was a very exciting time. And to go along with that, actually, one of the big pieces of business, actually, that we, that we did this summer was we approved a paper that was written by this incredibly talented group of pastors about racial reconciliation. What does it mean for the church globally, our church and our denomination particularly, and even our local church, to be reconciled to one another? To own the things that we have as a church have done in really extremely despicable ways and to pursue then the path of peace and reconciliation with one another. It's a beautiful paper. It's actually on our website. If you want to find it, you can link to the the news and events link that's on our website and you'll see it there atop. It's long, but it's good if you'd like to read it. I'm actually going to talk just a little bit more about it in the sermon. So let's get on with that. If you've got your Bible open to Psalm 25, you can follow along with me as I read. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exult over me. Indeed, none who waits for you shall be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. 
Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me. And be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It is sharp and piercing. It wounds us where we need to be wounded. And it heals, Lord, where we need to be healed. We ask that you would go about the business of what you do in your word. That you would touch our hearts. That you would show us, enlighten us. That you would shine your light into the dark corners of our hearts so that we may not hide. And Lord, in shining that light, that we might see Jesus. That we might see him clearly. That we might see him gloriously. That we might know and feel his love for us. Lord, we pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Um, so I got up this morning kind of ready to preach this sermon and I realized like something felt really familiar and I started to kind of flip back through uh, my calendar and realized that 51 weeks ago we were here it was our first it was our first uh, gathering together uh, when we just were practicing worship you remember that our first preview service and I preached a sermon on Psalm 25 I would love to say that part of my 25-year strategic plan is to continue to weave the themes of Psalm 25 into your hearts. And 51 weeks later, this is the groundwork that we're laying here. But that's really not true. I just totally forgot. But the Lord knows. He knows that we need His Word from Psalm 25 again this morning. So, have you already heard a lot of this? Please just pretend not to be sleepy and don't fall asleep for the sake of your neighbor and for me, your pastor. You may have remembered me telling you this, um, and if you haven't met me, this is something that will probably frighten you. And, and I, I run the risk of, of kind of losing my man card also by telling you this, but I have a really bad sense of direction. Like, I, I don't oftentimes know where I'm going when I'm driving. For instance... Uh, one time in college, uh, I was in Austin at school. Joy was in San Antonio. She was visiting her dad at work, and I was meeting her in San Antonio. And I drove to San Antonio, and we had a great time together. We spent the day together, and, you know, we were, we may have been engaged even at the time. So I'm, like, on this high, like, I've been with my girl. You know, everything's good. And I get back in the car to head back to Austin, and I know I-35 takes me to Austin, right? So I get on I-35, and I'm cruising. Again, I'm not thinking about much. I'm confident. I'm feeling good. I've been with my girlfriend, and I see a sign that says, uh, Mahaya. And I'm like, hmm, 
Mexia, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, who knows where that is, right? So I don't really pay any attention to it and just keep driving. And as the road, you know, increases, as I keep going, I see different signs, things I'm like, I don't really know where I am here. And this one sign comes up and it says, Laredo, you know, 50 miles. I'm like, oh, I'm pretty sure Mexico is not in between San Antonio and Austin. I just gotten on I-35 and drove the wrong way completely. But I was oblivious. I thought I thought everything was fine. I thought life was going along just fine. I have done this other times too. We one time uh, we're coming from Baton Rouge, where I used to live. We had a friend with us. We drove to Austin. We spent the weekend in Austin. We had a great time, and we were driving back through Houston, and we stopped and we ate lunch, and all was good. We got back on I-10. We're cruising. About 20 minutes later, like, oh look, there's Katie. Haven't we seen Katie before? We're going the wrong way. I I could literally sit and tell you story after story of this. None of you are ever going to want to drive with me again. I know. But here's the two things that are the worst part about my sense of direction. A, it's bad. And B, I think it's fine. Usually when I'm driving, I'm totally confident about where I'm going. Right? Often wrong, but never in doubt. That's kind of the way I drive. The Bible says that when it comes to our hearts, that spiritually speaking, we have a bad sense of direction. And the trouble is, not only do we have a bad sense of direction, but we can't see it. Oftentimes we are very confident about where we are going, even if we were going totally the wrong way. Psalm 25 is really a psalm that calls us to draw near to the Lord. To draw near to the Lord for guidance and help. To draw near to Him for forgiveness. And even to draw near to Him for friendship. To come near to the Lord as those who don't have a very good sense of direction for themselves. And to come near to the One who leads and guides. You may have seen that quote from Martin Luther on the front of your worship bulletin. It says, I I don't always know the path before me. But well do I know my guide. Psalm 25 is calling us to get to know the guide so that he might actually lead us. So here's that first thing that we, that we learn that God calls us to draw near to him. And it's in guidance. That he wants us to come near to him as the one who is going to guide and lead and teach us. Look again uh, at the first few verses here. or Actually at verses 4 and 5. He says, make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. He says it four times. He says four different ways. He says, Lord, make me know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. And then again, he says, teach me. One of, one of really the most fundamental aspects of Christianity is that we cannot do it on our own. We don't know where we're going on our own. We cannot change on our own. We cannot come to God on our own. We need Him to come to us. We need Jesus to do something for us that we could never do on our own. We can't just be who we want to be on our own. We actually need the Holy Spirit to work in us. And we can't change, even even grow as Christians on our own. We need Jesus actually to do that in us. We need Him to lead and to guide us. 
On our way back from Atlanta, uh, last night we stopped and we stayed, or two nights ago, excuse me, we stopped and stayed um, in Baton Rouge and we got to have dinner with some friends. It was great. Got to catch up with some old friends and had a fabulous time. And for whatever reason, their 16-year-old son was just fascinated by General Assembly and by the way that Presbyterianism works. I don't know why. He may be the only one. But he was fascinated by it. And so he kept asking me questions. Tell me, what do you guys talk about? What do you decide when you meet in these business meetings? What are you meeting about it? What are you figuring out? Then he asked this question. He said, when y'all meet together, are you deciding on theology? Are you, are you changing the theology of the church little by little? It was a great question. I thought, man, that's a, that's a fabulous question. And it's a question that we shouldn't take for granted because oftentimes throughout the history of the church, that's actually what's happened. Is the church has looked and said, you know what? God's word and the theology, the doctrines that we have around God's word, they don't seem to match very well uh, our cultural norms. They don't seem to match very well our cultural practices and even the church's practices. So you know what we should do? We should change the theology so that it matches the culture. Unfortunately, that has happened over the course of history. It has happened in the church broadly. It happens still. I want to assure you that you are part of a denomination who fights hard to keep what is true, true. Who fights hard to keep the truth of God's word and the doctrines that come from God's word safe. We literally protect it. We fight over protecting it. Oftentimes we fight too much over protecting it, but you know what? It's worth protecting. We are not changing our theology when we get together in these business meetings. But that does not mean that nothing is changing. I want you to listen to this really carefully. That does not mean that nothing is changing. Because as we see the unchanging truth of God's word come into contact and even oftentimes conflict with cultural norms... With the practices of the culture and the church, when we see that conflict, what is supposed to change is us. What is supposed to happen is that we are supposed to pray these words, Lord, make me know your ways. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach me. Change me. See, what we did actually, this General Assembly, when we got together and we put out this paper about racial reconciliation, is we simply were admitting together that the unchanging truth of God's Word and our cultural practices and our church practices were not in alignment and that we needed the Lord to change us. The history of our church, I'm sad to say, is dark when it comes to race. Southern Presbyterians are some of the worst offenders in slavery, in the civil rights era. You had churches, you had ministers proclaiming the goodness of slavery. You had ministers proclaiming the, uh, the elevation of the white race above all others. And you had them doing so, and this is the worst part. The worst part is that they were doing so, we were doing so, thinking that we were being faithful to God's word the whole time. Often wrong, never in doubt. Thinking that we were actually being faithful, and we were being utterly destroying of the people around us. Have you ever seen a blind person driving down the road? 
Probably not. I hope not. And the reason is, is that blind people know they're blind. It's like the one thing they know to be true about themselves. They have better understanding of their own vision than you and I do, than most seeing people do. If you are blind, the one thing that you know about the state of your vision is that you can't see. See, they know it. But oftentimes our hearts are just the opposite. Is that we think we can see, but we're blind. We're wearing blinders, but we think we can move forward just fine. We think that we're going about leading our own way and everything is fine. And underneath it all, what we're really being driven by is the lust for power, is by arrogance, is by greed, is by fear. And all of those things that are driving us, we can't see it. We're blind to them. Because if we're leading ourselves, we're going to be leading down a road that's completely contrary, oftentimes, to God's Word. That's what, that's what the history of our denomination is when it, when it involves race. is blindness leading down one path. We actually had this week, uh, one of the sermons that we heard in a beautiful time of worship was for a pastor who spoke on some similar things. And this pastor um, has had his hands, he was in an accident when he was younger, and his hands were crushed. And so he has little function in his hands, and they're, and they're kind of deformed. And one of the things actually about them is that he has, he has no feeling. He has very little feeling in his hands. And one of the things he said was, you know, he said, I cannot feel that I can't feel. There's no feeling in my hand, so I can't even feel that I can't feel that thing. Like his wife will have to say, Joe, you're bleeding. Like there's a cut on your hand. Go do something about it. It's going to drip on your pants. He said, you don't, you don't want to be beside me if we're passing hot plates. <laughs> because I don't know if it's really all that hot. He can't feel that he can't feel it. That is oftentimes the state of our own hearts. Is that we can't even see the blindness that we're blind to. So one of the big pieces of this paper that we produced on racial reconciliation is simply to say, Lord, show us where we're blind. Teach us. Lead us. We now see. We now see that we were so blinded by our own greed and our own arrogance, by our own fear, that we didn't, that we didn't see the amazing harm that we were doing. But the recognition is, you know what, there's probably still blindness. And that greed and that fear and that lust for power, it hasn't gone away. And if we don't continually ask the Lord to lead us, to guide us, to literally take us by the hand and lead us where we are going, then we will be driven by those things again. Now, whether that is in the way that we look at ethnicity and race and culture, or whether that's the way that we look at anything else in this world, is that we will be driven by our own lusts rather than by our Lord. We need to draw near to God so that He might teach us, so that He might guide us, so that He might train us. That's the first thing. Here's the second that we see in this psalm, is that we also get to draw near to God so that He might forgive us. So that we might draw near to Him and be forgiven. Flip over and look then at the words of verses 6 and 7. Listen again. Blessed be the Lord, for He has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In Him my heart trusts. I am helped. My heart exults. And with my song I sing. I'm reading Psalm 28. Scratch that. Reverse. 
Verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 25. It's going to make a lot more sense when I read these. (laughs) Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. So you can kind of feel the flow of thought here for David, the psalmist. He's writing, Lord, teach me. Lord, show me where to go. Lead me. And then he immediately kind of realizes, you know what? I am actually more worthy of destruction than I am of instruction. (laughs) For the Lord to lead me, he's got to first forgive me. I'm not even worthy of sitting at his feet and of learning and of being his disciple. He has to forgive me so that I can be in his presence even. David is making those connections to what it means to be led by the Lord also includes what it means to be forgiven by the Lord. And so he cries out to the Lord and he uses this word. Remember the word he uses? Remember. Remember me, O Lord. But what are you supposed to remember? This is really fascinating. There was this time in high school where um, where I skipped class. I skipped school. I know. Me. And... Um, <laughs> This is the greatest part of this story, okay? So I skipped school with a friend, and we went into downtown Houston, and I kid you not, we went to the library. Like that's, I mean, come on. Like you skip school and go to the library? Like what a stupid thing to do. I don't know why I did that. But when I got home, you know, when my mom inevitably, of course, found out that I wasn't at school, I I didn't, I don't know why I thought I was going to be able to pull that wool over her eyes. You know, I started to pull the library card. Like, hey, you know, at least I'm not that. I mean, I didn't go anywhere really bad. Like I skipped school and I went, you know, like I was kind of studying. It was like school I was doing on my own. It was a library. And then I started to pull out kind of all of this other stuff. Hey, you remember that time when I was really, really great and I was trying to butter her up right so that the punishment wouldn't be as bad I was asking her to remember all of those wonderful things about me and all the good things that I had done that's not the approach that David takes here in Psalm 25 he says Lord don't remember anything about me it's not remember all of my goodness it's not remember all the great things I've done remember that whole Goliath thing that was pretty cool remember knocked out that giant he could have said that remember all of the great things that I've done Remember that time that I had led your armies and defeated the Philistines? Remember that time that I marched in front of the ark? Remember that time with that girl Bathsheba? Oh wait, no, don't, don't remember that one. Forget that one. But not remember me, right? It's Lord, remember who you are. Treat me according not to my character, but your character. Treat me according to your mercy. Treat me according to your love. Treat me according to your forgiveness. Not my goodness. Not my actions. Not my motivations. Because those are all tainted. Lord, if you were going to forgive me, it's not going to be because of what I've done. It's going to be because of who you are. And what you have done for me. That's the way that David comes to the Lord. That's the way that we are called to come to the Lord. Not with our spiritual resumes. Not with our list of the things that we've done on God's behalf. With nothing, with empty hands, simply to say, Jesus, I need you, I bring nothing to the table, nothing at all. But your character, your mercy, your love is so great that you might even forgive and accept someone like me. The Lord wants us to come to Him for guidance, for teaching, for leading, and He wants us to come to Him to be forgiven 
To come to Him with contrition. To come to Him with repentance. To come and to lay ourselves before Him. To kneel at His cross and say, All that I need is what you have. And I have nothing to give. Here's the third thing that we get to come to the Lord for. And I think it's the best thing. This is really beautiful. I want you to flip over to verses 11 through 14. Just let me read this again. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. And then listen to this. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. The friendship of the Lord. Our guide, our instructor, our teacher, the one whom we have offended and we need His forgiveness. What David says here is that His friendship is actually offered to us. This is a beautiful word in Hebrew. It's actually even deeper than our word for friendship. It means not only the counsel of people, but actually the counsel that they give as well. So it's not just the friends who gather around, but even the good words that they speak into your life. That's all bound up in this word for friendship. And that is what the Lord invites us into. That we might come to know Him as friend. That we might come to know Him as kind and good and loving. Happy Father's Day, by the way, to fathers. Let me say, some of us, some of you have had fathers who are very hard taskmasters. Some of you have had fathers that did not offer friendship, but simply offered rules. Who did not offer friendship, but simply offered demands. And maybe even abuse. If that's your father, and that's the way that your understanding of God has been shaped, let Psalm 25 convince you otherwise. That's not the Lord's character. He comes to us and He offers us friendship that we might gather before Him and that He might love us and care for us. My youngest brother um, spent a few years trying to make it as a musician. He was in a a rock band and lived uh, in Nashville for a time and recorded an album. And um, one of the guys that worked engineering his album actually also works with U2. You two, one of the biggest bands in the world, um, one of the biggest bands probably in history. And uh, he worked as, you know, one of their kind of sub-engineers. You know, they had this enormous team of people that would work, you know, on their projects. And in their latest album, he was one of the guys. You know, his name was credited on the album. He was one of the guys that turned the little knobs and made them sound great. And he told my brother this story that he was up, he was late, late one night, he was in there turning his knobs and he was trying to make everything, you know, one little particular guitar sound, sound a little better than it had ten seconds before and he was working on it and crafting it and he was tired and it was late in the day and he hears these footsteps behind him and then feels these hands on his shoulders start massaging his shoulders and he's tense. And the guy starts massaging his shoulders and he starts to relax. He starts to feel a little better. And as the man begins to speak, he realizes it's Bono. The lead singer of U2, who's maybe the most famous front man in all of rock music. He's massaging this guy's shoulders. And he's saying, man, you've had a hard day. I can't speak in an Irish accent or else I give it to you. You've had a hard day. It's been long. Let me just, let me just rub your shoulders here so that you can relax. So that you can actually sit back here. This little peon working on turning a few knobs, like the guy that came up and started rubbing his shoulders, drew near to him in friendship, is the big, probably the biggest name in rock music. 
That's, that's the way that our Lord draws near to us. He's not a standing off that says, you know, you're, you're too low for me, which of course we are. It's the Lord who actually comes to us who are lowly and draws himself amazingly. Why would he do this for us? I don't know, except just that he loves us. Why would he draw himself near to us? But he does. And he offers even his friendship. Alright, let's do a little bit of application, and then we'll close. If you remember a couple weeks ago, last week, how we talked about how the Psalms are supposed to shape us. They're supposed to shape our thinking. They're supposed to actually do something that as we say them, as we sing them, as we read them, they actually change our hearts. So how is this Psalm supposed to shape us? What is it supposed to produce in us? How are we supposed to change by reading this Psalm? Well, here's the first thing that I think is supposed to shape in us. It's supposed to shape in us a better interaction with the world around us and the people around us. It's supposed to actually change the way that we relate, especially to those who may be different than us. To be able to come into a conversation and an interaction, whether that's kind of in a broad corporate way or personally one-on-one, and to immediately think, you know what, I might have blinders here. I might actually be blind to something. And this person, though they are different than me, might see something that I don't see. They might have a way of seeing the world that I am blind to, and so my ears should actually be opened. I need someone to lead and to guide me, to teach me, and to train me, which means I don't know everything. And so it also changes the way that that we look at ourselves when we come to others. That, That we actually come with a history with a culture that each of us come from a particular place and we have particular stories and they have shaped our understanding of the world we bring that to the table when we come and we interact with others that's the first thing I think that this psalm should do for us it should change the way actually that we relate to people particularly the way that we relate to people whose story is different than ours second way that it needs to shape us is it needs to change the way that we pray We should be those praying these words often. Lord, teach me. Guide me. Lead me. Because I'm blind without it. Take me by the hand and show me where to go. And you know, oftentimes we're praying, I'm, I'm at least praying these words, you know, Lord, show me what to do. I'm oftentimes kind of praying with this list. It's almost like a checklist here. Like, here's the stuff I need to know how to do. God, tell me what to do in this situation. That's okay. It's okay to pray for guidance. But let me encourage you that instead of praying for what to do, pray that the Lord would make you who to be. That He would be shaping your character. That He would be making you into the person that He has called you to be. And honestly, if you pray that, that kind of second prayer, what to do, it it will kind of fade into the background. It will become a little bit less important. Because as the Lord shapes your own heart, as He leads and as He guides you, you will see that that guide that you know well is actually leading you along a path where you are following Him. Here's the third thing. uh, Is that it changes our motivation. We're oftentimes thinking, what does it look like for me to change? What does it look like for me to be the better version of myself? What does it look like for me to actually grow in my faith? What does it look like for me to engage the world around me as Jesus has called me to? And our motivation always has to start with actually where we ended before. With the friendship of the Lord. It is the Lord who has befriended us, who has come near to us, forgiven our sin 
That's the one that calls us to come to Him for guidance. It's the one who was drawn near to us by sending His own Son that He might die for our sins, be sacrificed to take the punishment for us and be raised to life that He might give us new life, that He might show us His friendship, His goodness, His mercy, and His care. That's the motivation. The Lord has shown me love. The Lord has reconciled me to His Son. Now I can be reconciled to others. Now I can actually pursue following Him in all that I do. That is the God who has drawn near to us in Psalm 25. That is the God who has drawn near to us in Christ. Let's pray that He would make us understand these things even deeper this morning. Our Lord and Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the proclamation of Your goodness and Your care. We do want to just take a second to to realize uh, we need to be led. Lord, individually we need to be led. I, as the one who has been even given responsibility of leading your people, I can't do that. Lord, you have to lead me. And we, Lord, as as a church, corporately, Lord, we need you to lead us and to guide us. We need you to open our eyes to the ways that we are blind to the ways that we have been blind and not even known it. And Lord, will you show us and remind us your goodness, your friendship, your grace and mercy toward us. Let that be the fuel that drives us. We do give you all these things in the name of Christ. Amen.